Hey, welcome to the Publish, Promote, Profit podcast with me, Rob Kosberg. Every week, I interview thought leaders and experts who have used the book to grow their income and their impact. So tune in weekly for these interviews so you can learn how to use your own best-selling book and go from hunting for clients and opportunities to instead being the hunted. All right. Hey, welcome everybody. Rob Cosper here with another episode of our Publish, Promote, Profit podcast. I have a great guest for you today. We're going to be talking about business. We're going to be talking about uh, financial intelligence. I think you're going to love Mr. Henry Doss. Henry is a serial entrepreneur, business coach, well-rounded person, self-described ordinary guy, screenwriter. What haven't you done? I just found out he drove across the country uh, and just got back home yesterday. So uh, I'm really glad that he's taken some time to to, to be with us. Uh, you, of course, have written a book on uh, personal finance, which i uh, very, very excited to talk to you about, FQ, Financial Intelligence, what you really need to know about how to manage, invest, and grow your money now. So, Henry, thanks so much for being on the podcast with me today. Thanks for having me, Rob. Glad to be here. Now, you are, uh, you know, I made a little pun, but you're a well-rounded individual, <laughs> business coach, serial entrepreneur. <laughs> Uh, what in the world is up with writing a 400-page finance book? That's not something that you just uh, decide one day to do, I wouldn't imagine. Where where did the motivation come from to do that? 432 pages, if you want <laughs> technical. <laughs> so the origin story, and I've told it on a bunch of different podcasts, it's kind of interesting. I was at a conference in Bangkok with about 300 location-independent entrepreneurs, digital nomads. And I've coached a lot of them in my coaching business. And there were about six or seven of my clients there, because my clients are kind of all over the world. One guy from Australia, one guy from Tokyo. So there were and a few folks from Europe. And part of this uh, conference is a day of masterminds. So they match you up with you know, people in similar vocations. So I ended up on a table with folks who coach and a lot of people coach, no barriers to entry to coaching. And we went around and we kind of talked about the, you know, our, our Jim Collins BHAG, right? Our big, hairy, audacious goal. And I said, I always wanted to write a book and I wanted to write a book about my experiences of, you know, 40 years as an adult, even more than that, you know, 62, or at that time, I think 58, 59 years of experience you know, growing and managing money. And they sort of, and and everybody at the table was like half my age. And they're sort of like, uh, you know, you might want to get on that dude because (laughs) you're not getting any younger. So (laughs) it's pretty funny. They were a little more politic than that. So I said, yeah, I will. But I created it as a course. I went back home. I immediately started, I wrote 18 chapters and I started at chapter one. And I went straight through to chapter 18 and I read, I wrote about a hundred thousand words. And then I got a dozen people to test the material as a course, set up a Slack channel, set up weekly zoom calls. They made some really, really nice suggestions on stuff that I kind of missed. It's like, oh, you should cover flag theory. I'm like, okay, what's flag theory? <laughs> right? <laughs> some I hadn't heard of. And it's like, okay. I didn't. Then I just dove in and did research. Then when it was all said and done and I'm ready to launch, folks are like, you know what? This is a book. The book is your lead magnet. In fact, my friend Chris said to me uh, something that I've quoted very often. He said, a book is the new business card. And I thought, wow, that's really profound. Although I've updated it now to say a podcast is a new business card because everybody now has a podcast, except me. Podcast is easier to do than a book. (laughs) 
<laughs> uh, it sure is. And I like being a guest on podcasts and people said, Henry, when are you going to do a podcast? And it's like, I don't know, a week from never. It seems like a lot of work <laughs> where, where being a guest is great. I show up and then I leave. That's right. That's <laughs> and then right. I leave the editing to every, all I got to do is be good, be interesting for an hour. So that's how it evolved. And it took like a year to round it into a book because I didn't go into the endeavor with the intention that I would ever publish it. So I have uh, 250 infographics and that I just grabbed off the internet. It's like, well, one, you know, I hired a designer to lay it all out in InDesign because I wanted to be real professional. He's like, these are not going to look good. So I had to find a guy. I found a guy in, in Serbia on Fiverr who for 10 bucks a piece would convert all the infographics into vectors. And he was great. Yeah. So I had, you know, I went through all of that and then I had to get permission. <laughs> right. You have to get permission for stuff. It's like, I'm sure not going to publish anything. You know, people throw anything in the world up on the internet and they think it's just like theirs. Like yeah. there's no intellectual property. I could just do whatever I want to do. It's like, no, this is going to be a book that's going to get published and it's going to be on Amazon or, or Ingram or wherever it is. I can't put anything in there that I don't have permission to do. And some people were actually shocked that I asked permission. It was like, what, you want, you know, some guy who had a little diagram that I found and I dragged it and I liked it. And he's like, uh, no one's ever asked me for permission to use <laughs> any of my work. You're the first one, you know, good luck and Godspeed. Have at it. And uh, yeah, so it, it entailed a lot. There was a lot, a lot of, it was probably like a solid year. Yeah. I never knew what a copy editor was. So I had to interview a bunch of people to be copy editor and hire one of them. And then the layout guy. And so there's a lot to a lot of moving parts. Tell me about the metamorphosis into this, because, you know, from your background, you know, obviously business guy, entrepreneur, you're a business coach. You just mentioned that you were in Bangkok because of the number of clients that you had there and, and the event that you went to. So how do you go from and, and maybe talk a little bit about what your your magic is, what your expertise is, who you serve as a business coach, and then mm -hmm. kind of the metamorphosis into the financial piece of that? Well, the, the, the genus of coaching, you know, has all these different subspecies. In fact, at that very same conference, someone who was a coach did a presentation about growing your coaching business. And I walked into the room and there were like 40 different people in there. It's like there's fitness coaches and sure. food coaches. There was even a Pinterest coach. I didn't even know there was such a thing. <laughs> she coaches people on how to use Pinterest, podcast coaches, you name it. The barriers to entry and coaching are, are illusory. They're de minimis. You could hang a sh anybody could hang up a shingle. Anybody listening to this tomorrow could say, well, my speciality is, I don't know, repairing transmissions in British Leyland automobiles. Sure. <laughs> and I could, and all of a sudden coach people who wanted to do that. Maybe a little too niche, but I bet you there's more than a few people who would, you know, pay a couple bucks uh, for your expertise. So I just really made an adjunct. I'm still coaching people, but instead of the discipline being entrepreneurial, you know, growing your business, I just switch over to personal finance. So it really wasn't, wasn't too much of a change from a mechanical standpoint, but the people you're reaching out to are different, right? Well, um, they are. I mean, but that, so that's a considerable, it's almost like, well, it's not almost like it's a completely different business in one sense, right? Because it is. You know, it's a, well, a, it's a different, different it's a different serving. market, yeah. right? I'm marketing to a different subset of people. Actually, a much broader set of people no because doubt. my my book is designed for anybody. Sure. Mainly mainly Americans because the model that I use when I talk about things like social security and such, those don't really apply to people overseas because I've coached a lot of people and are like 
you know, Henry, we don't have uh, the healthcare issues that you have in the U.S. or right. or the the social contract. I mean, what we have are really really high taxes compared to the U.S. Uh, different problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting to me. You know, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is the idea of using a book to pivot from the thing that you're doing right now into something else. Not everybody mm-hmm. wants to do that. What many people want to do is just expand on the thing that they're doing. They want their book to bring them more clients, better sure. clients, more speaking, better speaking. But it seems like you took the other course, which I actually love, and that is you've written a book, and now you're using that book to kind of pivot into this uh, newer market for you. Not where you're, you're certainly an expert on it, but it's a market that you haven't been focused on. Was that kind of the idea for from the beginning? Yeah. Well, the, actually, the real impetus was to do group coaching because that was the sort of the topic of our little mastermind group is people were struggling with scaling, right? I coach people one-on-one and there were other people there and it's like, it's just not efficient for me to coach people one-on-one. Sure. I want to be able to do to do group coaching. I actually wrote this book with the idea of morphing it into a group coaching situation. Uh, and then I ultimately wanted to do it as, as like a weekend seminar thing where people would come to a hotel, you know, sort of like uh, the rich dad, poor dad sure. model. That was the goal. But what I discovered is I like doing it one-on-one and the value that people get on one-on-one is definitely significantly greater than doing it in a group setting. In a group setting you're always going to to dilute things. And I like to do a deep dive into people. I did that in the entrepreneurial world and I do that in the in the financial world. And that's a model that works for me. And I also realized that from a you know, just from a business perspective at 62 years old now, I don't really need to scale it. I always kept my, and even to today, I'd, I'd always kept my entrepreneurial coaching between eight and 12. I've had as many as 15 clients. It's too much. It's too much of a, of a workload, yeah. right? It really is. Yeah. I mean, I most of my career is in the rear view. It just is. Even though I never plan to retire, I'll die with my boots on. I always like, as long as there's somebody to pay me, uh, I'll be in business. <laughs> but I've been able to you know, manage and follow my own FQ, my own financial intelligence to get to a point where, you know, creating a large monolithic business that I'll one day sell is just not that important. That's not really what the BHAG is. Yeah, It's more of being able to impart my wisdom to people and change their lives, just like when I coach entrepreneurs. You know, it's it's interesting. You talked about the kind of impact that you're able to make one-on-one as opposed to group. And uh, it sounded to me as though you you said that, you know, you're focusing primarily one-on-one, even in the financial, in the FQ uh, financial right. coaching business. So if, if that's true, give me, like, tell me who your ideal client is. Tell me who, you know, the person is that I know anybody can, but who is the people that you find yourself that they're being attracted to you, that you're working with one-on-one in, and what their needs are and what your expertise is with them? Well, the number one characteristic you're looking for uh, in any sort of coaching relationship is desire, wanting to do this. Sure. Number two would be coachability, right? And that, that comes into play a lot with entrepreneurs because they tend to be headstrong and envision themselves as masters of the universe. So sometimes the coachability just isn't there mm. and those relationships don't really last. Mm. The other thought that really comes to mind is the idea of commitment. 
I don't need you to be passionate about it. I wrote a thing. It's a, it's a free PDF that's on my DOS Knowledge website. That's five reasons small businesses fail, right? And number five is confusing passion with commitment, hmm. right? It's okay to be passionate about it, but you're really going to need to be committed because if you go through this whole 20 week course and go through my book and really do the deep dive and all the work that's involved, and there's a lot, a lot of work involved, then you got the rest of your life to implement this stuff. There's no magic elixir. There's no bullet. There's no pill that you can take. Right. You have to want to, to do this and be committed to doing this for the long term, even when it sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Even when your investments start to blow up on you, even when you forget about managing risk for five minutes and all of a sudden things go sideways, Yeah, right? Most people or many people would just say, ah, you know what, I'll just buy an index fund or I'll just hire a professional to do it. And right. it's like, if that's your attitude, do that. But don't come crying to me when the stuff blows up in your face. Right. 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 Yeah, you know, tell me a little bit more about like what the demographics of that individual. And let, let me explain why I'm even asking that because, you know, I know one of the prerequisites of uh, working with people one on one is they got to be able to pay you. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, obviously, when you're working with somebody one on one, you know, generally that's a much larger financial commitment that's going to be asked of an individual than if you're working in a group because. You have no Correct. scalability as as a coach in that regard. So with that in mind, you know, who's the person that's coming to you for help? Is it someone that is a business owner that's already making, you know, three million bucks a year and now they need to figure out how to take that business revenue and turn it into lifelong passive income or you know what I mean? I'm, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm trying to understand because they're having to write you a pretty good sized check, I would imagine, every month to work with you. So, you know, this isn't the Dave Ramsey clientele that's coming to you that, you know, is in credit card debt and broke and, and, no, and they're wondering a, what to do. That's a different animal. I, and course. I even say it in my book. If if you're drowning in debt, yeah, uh, I can help you. But at you know at five grand for the course, I couldn't in good conscience take your money sure. if I know that you're just going to go deeper into debt. The original title for the book that I came up with was Financial Intelligence for the Sandwich Generation. I pitched it to my wife. She said, "Oh yeah, I like that. What's the Sandwich Generation?" <laughs> that was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I even wrote that in the forward of the book. But it really is the Sandwich Generation are people who are sandwiched between young school age children and aging parents. Okay. They're getting hit with everything financially. They got to worry about paying for junior's college. They got to worry that uh, grandma and grandpa put away enough money and don't have to, you know, live in a trailer park somewhere and they've got to fund their own in retirement and they got to worry about you know, their, their vocation and, um, you know, when they're going to get social security and will there even be anything left in social security when the time comes? Sure. So they are sandwiched between it. They get hit with everything. So all the stuff that I covered within the book is really for that sweet spot. You would figure 35 to 55 has some assets. I created a model family that I used throughout the book. And I had them at a net worth of about $500,000, yeah. so which is pretty. And again, I did all the research to sort of look at where the sweet spots are. So yeah, the guy who's making 3 million bucks a year, certainly they could learn a lot about it, but they probably have enough money at that where they could hire a financial advisor, lose a whole bunch of money and not really care about it. 
Uh, conversely, like you talked about, to someone who's drowning in debt, sure, absolutely, go to Dave Ramsey. He's got great stuff. You know, I talk about uh, snowball or avalanche. How do you want to get out from under all of this? Yeah. That's tough because that's facing some really inconvenient truths, which are this is going to impact your lifestyle. And one of the things that I talk about, one of the theories I have is something I call the 100-hour week right? So the, in abridged form, there's 168 hours in a week. Once you take away sleeping and all the basic biological functions that every human has to do, bathing, eating, brushing your teeth, you end up with around 100 discretionary hours in a week. Okay. And so how are you going to spend those? If you are working 40 hours a week and commuting an hour each way, now, now of course, the world has changed. I wrote this before the pandemic, so a lot of folks are working from home. But even if you're just working 40 hours a week, that's 40% of your life. Yeah. And the reason I came up with this was years ago, I read a statistic that said the average American watches 35 hours of TV a week. Wow. Millennials actually watch more. So I started doing the arithmetic in my head. I'm like, well, you work and you commute and then you do this. You got 10 hours, 10 discretionary hours left to do everything else that you need to do. That's absurd. Hmm. I mean, you're wasting your life. Time is the one asset that you will never get any more of. You can get more money. You can get more clothes. You can go on more vacations. There's a million things that you can do that you can get more of. You're never going to get more time. Yep. You're going to get what father time gave you, and that's it. So use it wisely, right? Just yeah. manage it. Yep. I love that. You know, it, so many people feel like if they could trade between time and money, they keep the money and use their time. And I think that they're dead wrong. And that's the biggest mistake that people can make. It's a huge, huge, huge yeah. blunder. Yeah. I had a doctor's appointment this morning and I made a mistake realizing that it you know, was a half an hour drive away. I'm thinking it's local because now I live in the boondocks in Connecticut. <laughs> and so uh, I called them to cancel it. And, and the person said, oh, you want to reschedule? She's only taking telemedicine clients from now on. I said, that is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life because yeah. there's no way I'm going to take an hour out of my life to drive down there and then wait for her in a waiting room, as we've all done. Yeah. And waste two hours of my day. Are you telling me that we could schedule an appointment for 930 next Monday and we'll Zoom? Yeah. <laughs> like, let's do that. Perfect. I love it. Let's change gears uh, a little bit sure. if we could, Henry. Absolutely. Um, as you know, Publish, Promote, Profit, like we spoke about, is uh, certainly about your expertise and, and your book, but also it's about what your book has done for you and for your business. Uh, you know, it's not easy to write a book, certainly not easy to write 432 pages either. <laughs> so you, you did it with some goals in mind. You did it with some, some purpose. So talk to me about and tell me, are there any stories or examples that you could give of how your book has helped you to make more money, grow your coaching business, get speaking engagements, whatever it is that you, um, you know, you've seen come from that great effort? Well, the idea that a book is a new business card, that's that's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, the opportunities to market that are, are myriad. Now, some of, some of them have been colored by, by COVID, but certainly having a book out there, I'm on a podcast talking about my book right True. there. That's I've now reached a new audience of people who otherwise may not be able to reach me or aren't going to find me. Remember, the internet is a gigantic place. You know, I describe it as seven and a half billion people screaming, look at me all at the same time. Yeah. Right. So how 
how are you going to differentiate yourself out there in the market? It's benefited me in I, I've gotten, I've uh, had people sign up for strategy sessions. I have one tomorrow From to talk book. about yeah, from my book, directly nice. from the book. And I don't really paper the earth with it. I have a VA who puts stuff out on Instagram and does all that stuff. Um, LinkedIn, very small, incremental little bits. Again, I don't need a lot. As I said to one of my clients a while ago, I said, look, there are seven and a half billion people on the planet. I need like eight of them to be my clients <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fine. So <laughs> I like those odds, you know, those are pretty, but still finding them in the morass that's out there is very difficult. Right. Um, when I first published the book and I put it on Amazon, you couldn't find it. Amazon's search engine is not optimized for even search terms. Unless you are selling dozens and dozens or hundreds of books, you're kind of invisible and it's that's okay i actually give my book away for free so if you go go to my website i finally just said and i've sold a bunch of copies but i finally said no i just want people to read it read it if you think it's valuable and you want to learn this as a course learn it from the master because originally i when somebody suggested turning it into a book i said well, am i not eating my own seed corn they're like no henry you're looking through the wrong end of the telescope if yeah. people read the book even if you give it for free and they like you and they like what's in it they want to learn it from the master yep i'm like Okay, I buy that. So certainly that is a good thing. But here's the caveat that, and this again, this is just me talking. So I had a client a number of years ago who hired a guy to write a book in like eight weeks. And there's a whole bunch of guys out there who do that. You don't have to Google very far. You know, it's book in a box. You can spend $100,000 if you want to do a book in a box kind of thing and have somebody ghostwrite it for you. And he wrote this book. It took him a lot longer than eight weeks because he kept, you know, dragging his heels on it because it's work to write a book. And then I read it when it was all said and done. And I said, well, you know, this is a pretty good first draft, right? Yeah. But you don't want to put a pretty good first draft out in the world because it'll be there forever. I mean, my wife was telling my wife is a voracious reader and she's, she read a book about a billionaire whose name I won't mention. And she, she shook her head because she'd actually met the guy. And she said, uh, there are typos. There's like typographical errors <laughs> in the book. There's one typographical error in my book. I mentioned Usain Bolt, but I think I misspelled his first name. <laughs> Somebody sent me a note. I said, if there's only one in 120,000 words, I'll take it. But still, it bugged me. Even today, it bugs me that there is a mistake in there. It's okay. I acknowledge it doesn't have to be perfect, <laughs> but it has to be professional. It has sure. to look because this is, it's a business card. So when you get a crappy business card from somebody, what does that tell you? Yeah. You look at this and Not say, what do, you, what, what do you do? Go to Kinko's <laughs> and then you print them out and you cut them out with a pair of scissors. <laughs> You'd be better off just sending me something on Facebook, right? And dispensing with business cards altogether, yeah. which most people have done. So if you're not going to do something professional, because it's a reflection of you and it's a reflection that will live forever. Yeah. And so that's really, I think that's something that people miss. Don't put junk out there. First drafts are fine. I went through, I don't even know how many drafts of my book. I had two different proofreaders. I had copy editor, my copy editor, and then I had my design guy making suggestions to me. So I had a lot of cooks in the broth, but each one of them made it incrementally better. And the, the, the dozen people who, who did my beta tests for me, they added suggestions. Sure. Said, oh, you misspelled this or you did that. I think that's really important. And again, just from a professionalism standpoint. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well said, my friend. I agree. I haven't read your book at this point, but I did download it. And uh, because you are downloading it is not the same as reading. I had well, a client I just who- downloaded it before the podcast. <laughs> so you got to give me some time. It's 432 I'm pages. I'm, I'm just pulling your chain. <laughs> I had a client when I first published it and I sent it to all my clients and I said, did you read my book? He said, well, I skimmed it. I said, all right, here's a little note for you. Never tell an author that you skimmed their book. <laughs> Lie to them. Tell them I read the first chapter. I really enjoyed it. That's it. That's it. Just lie. Yeah. The only time in my life that I would ever suggest to someone that they make a bold face lie, but never use the skim word. <laughs> Love it. Why don't we do this? Uh, obviously, thank you for your time sure. and uh, the things you've shared. Where can people get a copy of the book for free? Or what links would you like to, to give them to where they can learn a little bit more about you, what you do, and of course, the book as well? So my what I call my vanity site, which is Henry Doss, H-E-N-R-Y-D-A-A-S.com. People misspell my name all the time. So if you spell it with, with one A and two S's, you'll still get there. Oh, right? nice. <laughs> we have a redirect. Yeah, I have a redirect on a bunch of different stuff because people misspell my name. Sure. If you could, that's my vanity site. There's a link right on the front page. Um, it has links to my DOS knowledge website, the FQ course. It has links to even, you know, my personal stuff, you know, my golf trips and my screenplays and my, my baseball, my Roberto Clemente baseball cards, which is kind (laughs) of like a catch all for like everything. Yeah. And if they want to talk to me, you can just uh, go to the DOS knowledge site or the Henry DOS site and click on a talk to Henry and schedule a call. Uh, I don't charge anything for introductory calls. Like I said, I've got somebody who, uh, while I was on vacation, all of a sudden they popped up on my my schedule to talk about FQ, Love talk it. about taking the course. That happens all the time, which is great. I've, you know, I've met people. I won't enroll someone in the course if I don't think they will be successful, nor do I take on somebody as a coaching client if I don't think they will be successful. Excellent. It's just, that's just how I work. That's the old school boomer in me, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love it. So com or Knowledge. DosKnowledge.com. Yep. Either one of those. Uh, both beautifully done sites. Uh, your book is beautifully done. Love the the cover image. Uh, very very well done. So congratulations on that. Yeah, it was a lot a lot of work. And the I, I know, the, believe me. The top tagline, the taglines were not mine. One came from my wife. One came from my sister. I think the one that says, "There's more to money than just making it." Mm. Right. Nice little play on words. My sister yeah. came up with that one. I said, that's really good. I'm going to use that. All right. And she got some credit right here. She got some props for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Henry, thank you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Great to have you on. And uh, obviously, people know where to go to learn a little bit more about you, get a copy of your book, and uh, look forward to, to hearing more about uh, how FQ does. Thank you so much, Rob. I really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend.